Welcome to the Better Business Podcast, a series for those business owner operators who want to create a better business. Here are your hosts, Chris and Mark. So welcome to the Better Business Podcast with your hosts, Chris and Mark. Uh, I'm Chris Casamenti and with me online is Mark Eggleston in, we'll call it our Sydney studio. G'day, Mark. G'day, Chris. How are you going going today? You well? I am well. Bloody hot. How hot? 30 degrees hot. That's not that hot. I think we've all gone a bit soft, mate. (laughs) True. Yes. So I say from our Sydney studio, because I'm indeed located here in in sunny Melbourne, and it is about 30 degrees as well, so it's one of those rare occasions we can say it's the uh, roughly the same temperature in Melbourne as in Sydney. So this is not a weather podcast, as uh, as we were uh, discussing there. It's we're going to be talking about business, and indeed, uh, when we talk about better business, uh, using some of our experiences and insights and hearing from other people along the way, as what we've seen, uh, what we can impart, or what we can get indeed others involved in imparting is ideas, tips, tricks, stories, uh, case studies interviews, whatever it is that can help people just get little insights into how they can actually create better outcomes in their businesses or just have a little bit of fun with business along the way. So just a little bit about you and I, Mark, because one of the things that um, I always contemplate when we think about podcasting is why would anyone want to listen to us? Which is a really, really good question. And I think the answer to that is that um, I think you've had about the same experience length of experience as I have in coaching businesses, which is around about 16 years. So uh, I think what that really means at a grassroots level is we've seen just about everything there is to see in owner-operated businesses, which I have to say is our favourite space. While we've both done a bit of work in corporate, I really think it is the owner-operator space where we love to work, where coaching for us has been most successful. So there's a lot, a lot of stories there. And the other thing is that it's not specifically going to be a how-to. It's more about this is what we've seen and this is some ways you could think about fixing it and have some fun. It's not going to be overly pious. Absolutely right. There's nothing uh, worse than uh, some of those preachy instructional uh, videos that we see on YouTube or indeed some of those podcasts. And I don't want to cast aspersions on the great work that you know hundreds if not thousands of other people do out there. But one thing that often leaves me a little bit cold is is that overly pious approach to, to business and uh, and a- anything in relation to uh, topics that we might be talking about where they become entirely instructional lists of how-to. And I think what you've uh, alluded to there is uh, over 16 years of coaching businesses and, and mentioning that we are indeed business coaches and with slightly different um, focal points, and we can get into that a little bit later on, uh, what we have seen over the time is that uh, it's, it's not all about instruction. It, it's not one size fits all, is it? No, it absolutely isn't. Uh, I think it's almost something I was just thinking of while you were talking there is that one of the things we're going to do is interview people, business owners predominantly and others, who do things that we really like that have been really successful. So you will hear it live from people who practice what they preach. The other thing is that over the 16 years, we've spent quite a sum of money being trained in business coaching and all the things you can bring to businesses. So we're not just, I wouldn't say we're fly-by-night as we do, Chris. 
absolutely not. So if, if anyone out there has been following the uh, the coaching community, especially from an Australian uh, practical perspective, it hasn't been around for as long as the US. It's it's a it's an industry that's been going on for quite some time. I believe the UK it is quite a mature industry, whereas in Australia, if we track our history, Mark going back about 16 years, the, the coaching industry in Australia, as it is known now, uh, hasn't really existed for much longer than that. So we always thought we were on the crest of the wave. We, we've seen the whole industry evolve over the last 15, 16 years uh, from one that you had to explain what it was all about, then to sort of explain which part of it you do, and now it's, it's seemingly a, uh, a topic that, that bears no, um, no need for explanation. It is an interesting evolution. It's nice to see the coaching marketplace maturing, actually, and some really good players in it. Let's see. What are we hoping that this podcast is about? Well, I'm hoping that some business owner-operator will listen to this and go, oh, that is really useful. I could use that. But if they get something useful out of it, I would be happy. Yeah, same for me, because it's one of those things that, almost going back to that question of why would anyone bother listening to us, uh, you, you do have to, you know, step outside your comfort zone a little bit when you're putting pen to paper for a blog. Sometimes even if you're posting an opinion on social media or you've uh, you've got your LinkedIn profile there and you, you uh, build up the courage to tap out that, that first um, little opinion piece on potentially what some, someone else has written or, or a comment in reply to something, um, it, it is a little bit unsettling, isn't it? And, and you do begin to wonder, will anyone... Uh, <laughs> why would anyone listen... To this and and what do we hope for them to get out of it and I think it's just one of those things to say that we do have some insight we do have some experience and, and we do have plenty of stuff that we want to share and we can't always share all the stuff that we talk about um, with our clients or with presentations or whatnot um, we can't share it with a broader audience can we so this is just a way I guess to take what what we often talk about uh, in our clients or in our discussions or in our training or anything like that and putting some of these topics out there for people to, like you say, just hopefully get something out of it and do something a little bit different. I would actually hope that people are, are somewhat entertained by it at some level, but that's that's probably just my um, my ego talking, Mark. Well, no, I really do hope they're entertained. I seriously hope that is one outcome. Yeah. And, you know, it is a little unsettling giving your opinion out to the the worst thing that can happen out there is to get no response. If you get a little bit of an angry response from someone, at least you know you've stirred someone up and they might take some action. And we see this all the time in the businesses we work with. Yeah, we do. Commonly known as pushback. Where we often then get blamed for stuff. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. Now, you and I chat a bit. Yeah, we, we do. Uh, we catch up uh, probably a couple times a week and, and we'll talk about a range of things. But there's been one topic that, that we've been talking about a lot recently and that's, um, it's, it's sort of wrapped up in this whole word ego. And we're always looking for what the fundamental thing is here and it's invariably ego and the impact that has on businesses, how it shows up and how you or I who's having the issue with the client might attack it. So... In, in preparation for this, and I know you do a, a hell of a lot of reading and research and whatnot, um, do you want to just uh, take us into a little bit about the role that ego plays in business? And, and you know, some of the questions that I have for you, uh, I, I know from my experience that it, it can often be um, a big inhibitor of business performance and, and relationship and whatnot. 
Um, but I'd also think that it's, it's, it's wise to uh, discuss the other side of that, which is where does it play its part? So what, what, are, what are your thoughts on this, Mark? Well, I think that's a really, really interesting point, Chris, is where it plays its part. And where it plays its part is that if you're going to start a business or you own a business, clearly you started at some point in time, this is not for the faint-hearted, and it does take a little bit of ego to get into doing that. And a little bit of ego check is a really, really good thing. So I would say all the business owners that I've worked with have had to really put it on the line at some stage to start their business to get it up and to get it going. And as I say, it's not for the faint-hearted, so you do need a bit of ego. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things that I get a little bit confounded about when this topic comes up in front of a client or in front of an audience in a presentation. There's always a healthy dose of ego when you're speaking to owner-operators, isn't there? Because, like you say, it it takes a little bit of gumption to to get something off the ground. And it's not always just because you're inspired to do something. It's sometimes because you think you can do it better. Well, invariably, they think, you know, they often think they can do it better and they can do it better. They really can. You know, I love these men and women who start their own business. It is just sensational. But as I say, it's not for the faint-hearted. The interesting thing is, though, that, you know, as I said a little minute ago, that we don't often start with the ego word. We might say, what, you know, if I phone you, I say, what's happening here? And I lay out a bit of story, a little story, and then we have a chat about it. And either you'll go, well, that sounds like ego to me, or I'll go, oh, God, I just got what's going on here. And I think um, the bigger word, as we've often discussed, is that can often show up as controlling. Uh, And why I think that is really an interesting thing in an owner-operated business is because what you really, or you do this too, and I've done it quite a bit, is to bring around some sort of succession play in a business. And if you want to have a succession plan in place, you do have to owner-proof the business or founder-proof the business. And if they're controlling, that makes it monumentally difficult. Yeah, that's so true. Explain a little bit more about that. Well, if... A business owner is going to go somewhere and try and sell his business. One of the things that the potential buyer might do is look at how many things or how dependent the business is on that owner. And if it's really, really dependent on the owner, in other words, if they're touching all the roles in the business or a lot of them, it it just devalues the business a lot because if you move the owner out of the business, then it's in a little bit of difficulty probably. makes it a lot harder for the buyer to move in and have a successfully a financially successful business straight up. Yeah, absolutely. And so what role do you see then as where where ego plays its part in an owner-operator touching every part of his or her business? I think the best thing I can do here now is give you an example of where yeah. I saw this a while ago, which was I was going into a business that's involved in urban planning, and we were actually going to discuss this particular topic on the day I was in there. So I was standing in their uh, reception, and there was a real commotion going on in the reception. And this went on. I probably stood there for 40 minutes at least while this whole commotion went on, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so we get into the boardroom, and I said to the owner and CEO of the business then, what was all that about? And they replied to me that one of the urban planners had got into that business early in the morning, wanted to make their breakfast, put some bread in the toaster, pushed the toast down and the toaster sort of exploded. <laughs> so the whole, the whole commotion in the foyer, as I was standing there, was about buying a new toaster. And you're watching this for 40 minutes? For 40 minutes, at least. So when we get into the boardroom, I said to my client, 
So after she explained what it was about, I said, um, so, you know, sort of roughly an hour, what would you charge? And it's 350 an hour. And the planner, what would you charge them out an hour? And maybe $180 an hour. And the receptionist had another amount of money they charged out an hour. So by the time it's all said and done, the first thing is they just bought themselves a $600 toaster. <laughs> the second thing is that really in a functional business, that CEO should have had no clue that was going on. Yeah. And you'd be wondering why they involved themselves in it, and this is just this controlling thing. Yeah. So yeah. you've seen it play out. One of the, the really good examples that, that I saw was working with uh, an organisation, again, it's a family business, and uh, invariably going through the stages of growth and and. In, in a way, some emotional plateau and emotional distress at, at certain stages of the business. And when uh, it got, we got to the uh, stage of really getting into the uh, managing director's head around what, what was going on for them when the change occurred, because sometimes we all get into business where we can hear, people will say things to us and we hear them. People will show us things and we see them. Uh, we get all the right information and all the right cues uh, but we still don't make a decision to change, even when we know things aren't working as well as what they could. And the way that, that this uh, gentleman put it was it was a really eloquent um, metaphor or, or, or sort of mental uh, image, was he said, all this noise and stuff was going on around me and I was in a very, very dark place as a business owner and I knew all the things I had to do to change. But it was like I was living inside a bubble and whilst all the pressure was coming on outside the bubble to try and break it, the only way that I could break it was to prick it from the inside. And nothing was going to change until I pricked that bubble from the inside. And the only thing that was stopping me was my ego telling me that I should know how to do this. Did they prick the bubble from the inside, Chris? Absolutely. And, and, and this was the situation where, where the... Um, the trajectory of, of that business actually changed was when the bubble got pricked from the inside, it allowed all these all this other energy to flow into the business and all the help that, that was being offered and all the ideas that they had. It just freed up everything where where this person all of a sudden didn't didn't put himself as the it was almost like saying, I'm 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 actually an open book. I need to be an open book here. I don't have all the answers. Isn't that interesting, you know, um, regarding the toaster person, yep. CEO, when we bucked them off that and started to decrease their control, that's exactly what happened. It's amazing who started putting their hand up and standing up to uh, do roles in that business other than what they were employed for. It's quite extraordinary when you see that happen, and I'm sure you've seen it, where people are just sitting there waiting to take on other roles because they want to do it. Yeah, it's like, it's like having a bench of a bench of all-stars all the time on the side of your sporting field saying, you know, put me in the game, coach. <laughs> yeah, and as soon as you detune the ego of the owner or the CEO or the managing director or whatever, that's exactly what happens. All those people sitting on the bench get a chance to have a go. Now, I think that, you know, there's one there's one important distinction that we also need to make here as well, which is we're talking always about the person on at the top of the tree in these examples. But what happens when there's a really, really healthy or rampant 
ego, or, you know, what I would call unhealthy ego, being displayed uh, within the ranks, within the leadership teams, or within the, uh, uh, the middle management of a business. Um, where have we seen that pop up, and, and um, what are some of the pitfalls around dealing with someone like that? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, if that's happening in the middle management level, anything below them isn't working. Yeah, interesting. Explain. So they're, complete, they're complete blockers. People will be trying to do things. Their colleagues will be trying to do things. Their colleagues will be trying to rise themselves up for the business, and they'll just hit a brick wall. And what that does often is really wreck the culture within a business. Yeah. It's, it's twofold. It has, has an effect on the business the business's ability to function and be efficient, and it has a bad cultural effect. So is there an attachment to, in that regard there, because I've just wind this back a little bit, is to think that if, if you've, for example, got a, a middle manager or, or a senior leader in, in, in an organisation that has a, a team uh, underneath them, and they're displaying that what you're talking about before, some of those controlling and you know perhaps autocratic styles of, of leadership, uh, i.e. I, I have to pass everything before it happens or I have to do it my way or my way is the best way or if it's going to be done properly, I have to do it myself, all those kind of behaviours, um, then, then what you tend to find is that managers creating almost like a false ceiling in the organisation because in a way they become the gatekeeper to their role on the, on the org chart or the corporate ladder, do they not? They do. That's exactly what happens. They do. They, create, they absolutely create a ceiling. And the, impact of, and the impact of the people in their teams, and they, they feel, feel like they can't go anywhere. Yeah, they feel extremely disempowered and de-energised. You and I were discussing this recently where I was listening to uh, Reverend Graham Long, who runs the Wayside Chapel in Sydney, yes. had this little saying, and it rather did my head in for a while, but I thought it was absolutely <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> and it's absolutely brilliant, and it's really pertinent to this point. Where he said, and... I'm paraphrasing a little here, but not much, that if you're involved in a project and you're in the project, you need to be significant, critical, but not central. And, the, and he went on to say that, you know, if you're central in that project, it's then all about you and not about the project. And this is what you see with middle managers, I think. Significant. Yes. Critical. But not central. But not, but not central. Well, you know, as I say, when I heard it, I went, oh, man, that's doing the head in somewhat. But when you think about it, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. And, and, and so what's the implication there of, of being central? Well, you start to make it about you and not about the essence of what you're trying to do. It's in the coaching world, it's where the coach runs their own agenda and not what the clients ask for. We've had this little discussion about the, uh, I guess the positivity of ego, which says it's, it's usually a starting force based on what you said earlier on because uh, we, we need a healthy dose of it to get going. Sometimes we need a healthy dose of ego to, um, uh, you know, put ourselves out there and, and whether it might start a business, put ourselves up for a role, situation of going and speaking to your boss about a pay rise. You know, they, they're all little things that get wrapped up in, in having some sort of ego about what you do where you're putting a value on what you do. Uh, we've been through a little bit of the discussion around where, where it can hinder us, where, where it can create a very bad culture, it can create ceilings in organisations, it can create stagnant organisations, and it can actually create some dysfunction. Um, but I, I just want to take it away from business for a second because, you know, something that, that potentially, hopefully, some listeners out there, if they ever 
listen to this podcast are going to come to learn is that I talk about golf a lot. And golf is a really, really interesting game when it comes to uh, understanding your ego. And there was this really beautiful saying that I read a few weeks back on, on, on one of the, the Twitter um, feeds I follow in relation to, to golf. It was something along the lines of that golf is a battle between what your experience tells you to do, what your skill allows you to do, and what your ego thinks you can do. And Lord knows that when you're out on the golf course, everyone thinks that they're uh, Tiger Woods or or Rory McIlroy or, or someone that you always think you can pull off this impossible uh, shot. But those other things, two things come into play. Experience, because your experience is always telling you that you can't. <laughs> or your skill level will tell you that you can or you can't because you've got a handicap that, that tells you all of these things. And in business, I think it's actually no different, is that we do have skills in business. Uh, we have skills in what we do. We have experience in business where we have experience in, in, in what we've seen and what we've done and, and what situations of the past um, we can learn from to, to teach us about potentially what will happen in the future. But then we all have this thing about ego which says that this is what I want to do. And, and if you look at it as a little bit of a, a triangle like that between skills, experience and ego, I think there's some sort of balance in there that, that we can get. You know, that's really interesting that you say that because, as you know, I am not a sports fan much. However, I was watching... Which is why I love, talk, which why I love boring you with sporting analysis. <laughs> I was watching Australia play England the other day and when Steve Smith hit his... I think he's double century. And the commentators were talking about the way he was batting. And someone said, he's batting for the team. He's not batting for himself now. Because mm. he, he needed to bat in a certain way to stay in. Yep. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. He'd be really tempted to whack a few of those balls. Yep. But he just held his calm, didn't let his ego get out of control and stayed in. Yeah, interesting, because no doubt... Uh, his ego would have told him that he could put a number of those balls over the rope or through the boundary or take a risky shot. Um, but if he's batting for the team, all that goes into the back, back seat, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Sport is a great uh, leveller when it comes to analogies for business and, and sport. But it, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because if you take what I was talking about from golf in, in, in that scenario with, with Steve Smith, you've got ego, skills, experience, using all those three and then working out that if you put your ego in the back seat, more often than not, your skills and experience will, will take you through. And the thing that we often talk about between us is that little line, which is what got you here probably won't get you there. These are all smart people. They're really smart people. Architects are trained nearly as much as dentists, and they are smart people. And the reason we like that line is there comes a time in their business life when their technical training will not help them get beyond a certain point in their business. And often we find them, they say to us, I just don't know what to do here. You know, I'm, I'm relatively intelligent. I'm really smart. I know what I'm doing, and I just can't work this out. Yep. And I think that's, that's where, the, where the coaching cuts in in a big way. Yeah, and of course, from a, a pure methodology perspective, coaching is, is that process by which to gain behavioural change. Yeah. If, you ask, if you ask any business coach, sporting coach, dietary coach, uh, fitness coach, um, 
ultimately the aim at the end of that is to get behavioural change, whether it's to get people to play together in a certain way or people to enact uh, certain skills in a, in a certain way based on the strategy. It's, it's essentially the, the pursuit of getting gaining behavioural change. That is exactly right. And the sort of now, just to go full circle on that, this is where the ego bit cuts in that, Yes, you then might, you then might as a business owner go, no, I can do this myself and I'm going to give it a go. And the truth of the matter is you will probably eventually solve the problem. But the issue is it'll be eventually. And, Whereas, can, and can business wait until eventually? So, um, beg me to ask you a question, which is, what do you think we actually bring? A lot of the businesses I work with, uh, like you say, are eminently more qualified than I at plying their specific trade. And I ask them this all the time. It's usually the confidence to make decisions because it's, it, it brings a framework or a process to actual to decision-making that begins with, with a bunch of those bigger questions that don't typically get asked in organisations around why are we doing this? How do we have to act and behave to see this through? And that, and that obviously that big topic of, of what is our vision and where are we going. So, like you were saying before, what what got them here, you know, won't get them there. And and that's usually this, what, from my perspective, this battle between their technical skills that they have existing in their business and a bunch of non-technical skills that they never really got trained for. And let's face it, in a lot of owner-operated businesses, don't really have the time to go and invest in that because they're usually run very lean, they're high-paced, and they're, you know, they're high-energy uh, organisations. So they don't tend to go and invest in how to build strategy, how to actually run vision workshops, how to then build a plan and a personal development program, and how do we foster leadership, and all these other big questions that, that I say sit in the non-technical skill space. So the first things first is when people like you or I or other consultants come into business, the businesses are usually buying the confidence to make a decision. And then it's, and then it's the how. Yes. The how, the how can be a little... Yeah. That be so, convoluted. so, yes, we're going to pull the lever to make that decision. We're going to implement that strategy. Now can you... How on earth do I do it? If you had to, you know, just drop one or two pearls of wisdom here, Mark... What do we want people to take away from the discussion about ego in their business or in their teams? Uh, I think one of the first ones is don't get stuck. If you can't do it or if you think you can find a way to do it but it's going to take ages, go and get help because there's someone out there that will help you do it quicker. And the best leaders are the ones who quite often go, well, I'm really, really good at this and this and this, but I'm actually not very good at that. So they have self-awareness. I, I, give you, I could give you a perfect example of this. and it, Well, it sort of is a business. It was my son's school where the headmaster stood up and it was a school that was particularly good with boys and he stood up in front of all the parents at one stage at an end of year assembly and he said, you think I'm really good with boys and in this context, in this context I am. But I have to tell you that I just I think I've mucked it up with my son a bit. And... I'd have to say he was probably the most powerful person I've ever met and humble. Mm. And it really took some it really took some guts to stand up and do that in front of all the parents and most yeah. of the kids in that school. I remember you telling me this story and I've shared it since and it's, it's such a powerful message because 
it's not so much the, the self-awareness to say that, that that's the striking thing. I, I'm always interested in, in the response from the parents because no doubt they've invested probably tens of thousands of dollars for their kids to attend that school. They have invested a lot of money in their kids to attend that school. That could be they could be driving something really, really nice, but they're not <laughs> their kids to that school. But what it, it it got that headmaster a phenomenal amount of respect, and I've never seen a headmaster loved by the students, the teachers, and the parents as much as he was. Really you interesting. Know, I think I think as I said to you, if you were in a room and you had your back to the door, and he walked into the room, you knew he was in the room. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah, interesting. So, so the opposite reaction than than I guess the one you would expect occurred. Um, well, the, the opposite. It, the opposite occurred. It did occur. And, it was, and it, 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 was it because he became human? It was. Totally no, not, not that he needed to become human, but I, I guess this idea that it, just another parent in the room. Yeah, just another parent who's uh, not getting it right all the time. And probably allowed people to empathise. It did allow. It allowed for a lot of empathy, actually. Yeah, which which is again one of those great uh, strengths that sits on the opposite of the scale to ego, doesn't it? Being able to to relate to people and 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 bring that empathy to to scenarios. Do we have much more to add to the ego story? No, just just the takeaway. So the takeaway from that story oh, yeah, was, we're on uh, I guess, yeah. We're Come on, on, get back to it. Focus, focus. Right. Um, don't get stuck. Have a look. So, at so don't get stuck was, was get help early, yeah? Get help early. To maybe ask the question, am I the best person to be doing this? That is the knockout question. So tip number one, get help early. Am I the best person to be doing this? Yep. What's, what's tip, tip number, number two? two? Is, well, I'd say, yeah, am I the right person to be doing this? Tip number three is, in your business, look at how many of the areas in the business you are touching. Mm-hmm. Because as, as we said early on, you, in any business, it wants to be owner or founder approved. And if you're touching all, if you're touching a lot of the roles in the business, it isn't founder approved. And is there a tip number four? I'm going to put my ego front and center here, and I'm going to I'm going to take command of these tips. So, tip number four, um, if I could add which could then extend our tips to five, which would be, you know, obviously unprecedented for us, but it's our first podcast, so let's let's just roll with it. Tip number four, understand the balance between experience, skill, and ego. And, and if uh, your experience is telling you what you could do and your skill's telling you what you could do and your ego's telling you something else, bin your ego. So the last tip I, I would say is that this is one of the trays I love with business owner operators is they're ambitious and they're often quite driven. You do have to understand that not everyone in your business is going to be quite as driven and ambitious as you. Yes. And that's okay. That, that'll pretty much wrap it up for today, Mark. Any final thoughts for, for this particular first episode? You know, What are the things you're looking forward to in the future, mate? Oh, the thing I'm looking forward to in the future is talking to the people that we know and like and really respect who do, who've done interesting things in their businesses. They've not always got it right. They're happy to talk about not getting it right. But that's what I'm looking forward to. And doing it with you, of course. Oh, well, yeah, I appreciate those kind words. And I'm the same as well. 
uh, really looking forward to speaking with the, with the people that we know and love. Alas, we can all learn from other people, can we, can we not? We totally can. Okay, mate, it's been lovely speaking with you, and um, I, I do want you to get back to that scorching 30-degree day. Um, my goodness, have we become soft with the weather in this country. But oh, anyway... Totally, we totally have. And I look forward to talking to you again shortly. Good on you, Mark. We'll catch you next time. Okay. See you, Chris. See you.